Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Chirps. I believe this is episode 119 ever, which is a lot of episodes, especially since most of them this year uh, have not been of the most cheery variety. But nonetheless, Alex and I back with you again this week to talk about a week that went from potentially really good to completely and entirely awful very, very quickly. But Alex, before we get to that, just a, you know, couple of friendly headlines uh, that that we can talk about at some point. Adam Wainwright coming back for another year, thanks to full permission from his family. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, the Hall of Fame inductions are happening. Derek Jeter, Larry Walker, Ted Simmons, keep that in mind. Might circle back to that at some point as well. And just as a bonus, Alex, I'm looking at the Cardinals website right now. You can receive two, a whole two Cardinals tickets with the purchase of a whole house of windows, courtesy of Window Nation. So just in case you want to buy an entire house of windows uh, for two Cardinals tickets, I'm not sure that's a great deal, but nonetheless, it's an option. All right. I want you to clarify here. Um, you, You have to buy a house with windows and you get two tickets or you just have to outfit your house with new <laughs> windows and you get two tickets. Uh, presumably the latter. Presumably the latter because it is phrased receive two Cardinals tickets with purchase of whole house of windows. Windows are expensive. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a terrible uh, incentive here to me to here. We'll give you we'll give you two tickets to watch bad baseball if you give us all of your life savings to put windows in your home. I, I bet that is target advertising and all the Cardinals fans who have broken windows in the last <laughs> week. By throwing their TV uh, remotes? Yes. Really, it should be them. an ad for new televisions. <laughs> through them, yeah. An mm, ad for yeah. lots of broken right. things all around the house. <laughs> Anger management yes. uh, sponsored you get, you get tickets. get tickets to, yeah. as sort of an insurance that you will be breaking <laughs> things at the stadium and not at your house and things you own. Right. Okay, see, yeah. now that's a much better... That's a much better uh, selling point than buy all new windows and we'll give you a total of two baseball tickets. Um, I digress. This is where we are at this point, Alex, talking about the advertisements on Cardinals.com as opposed to the actual baseball because it is not good still. It's, it is terrible. Um Speaking of terrible, I, I uh, every once in a while I, I will listen to our pod. You know, sometimes I just don't listen because we record it and I know what we said. I don't need to listen. I listened to last week's episode. Did you know? And I remember saying this at the time and being like, that didn't sound right. Instead of saying like the Cardinals are in position to control their own destiny, I said they're in position to fulfill their destiny, which is not the, it's not the right, uh, <laughs> it's not the right phrase. Different anyway, concept. Different yeah. concept. Um, but no. Sunday, when they had a 5-1 lead, I believe in the 7th or 8th, and they kind of were flirting with trouble, I sent a text message to a friend, Cardinals fan, and said, they are so going to blow this. So had several O's. So draw out this. They're so going to blow this. And they got out of that inning, I believe, uh, Gallegos came in to relieve a Genesis Cabrera, who who was not who's not having his best day, and and they got out of it. Uh, I believe on a, a Hennessy's Cabrera maybe struck someone out to, to end the inning. I don't remember. but It was that, it was that Paul Goldschmidt liner uh, that he yes, caught. Yes, yeah. yes. He struck out the batter before because he came in with uh, one out and bases loaded, I believe. Um, 
and they got out of that inning, but I still didn't feel like they weren't going to blow, blow yeah. it. Yeah. And then it happened, and just the loudest of sighs, not even that much anger, just a loud sigh. And what was so disappointing about it is, so we had that series with the Reds, and it ended on such a sour note because they got their butts kicked in the second game of that doubleheader, which included that silly maneuver by uh, Mike Schilt to do that odd challenge with uh, Castellanos' uh, bat after he already hit the Grand Slam. And it was just like not a fun game to be on this side of the fence. But once all the smoke cleared, you can still say like, look, that was a game at Great American Ballpark, a series at Great American Ballpark, a place I don't trust ever. You know, Cardinals could have a great team and the Reds could have a, a, a bad team. I never feel very comfortable playing there just with how lively the ball is. And the Cardinals took two out of three from the team they're chasing. It ended on a bad note, but they did exactly what we wanted them to do. And I tweeted as, as much. And it, they were on the cusp of doing that exact same thing with the Brewers. All they had to do was win that last game, a game they absolutely should have won. It it mirrored the game exactly a week before, only it was worse. Um, <laughs> but just win that game. And then you have a little bit of kind of leeway to drop two of three to the Dodgers and not really care. Or, you know, hope you win, hope you win the series, but if you don't win the series. Is this a three-game series? I barely even have the energy. To, it's, it's four, four. I believe, okay. yeah. All right. So you could you – could, even drop three or four and be like, eh, that's not good and that's not what we wanted to do, but whatever, they're the Dodgers. They're not in that position anymore, and they've already lost the first two games to the Dodgers. The fact that I think most people cared more about the fact that Pujols is in town and hit a home run than they do the actual team speaks volumes, and I'm kind of in that camp as well. Uh, it's over. We're almost done. We only have a couple more weeks left. The, the end point is near, <laughs> and... We can soon be all out of our misery and free to enjoy whatever else it is that we might enjoy. Whatever else comes in the way. I guess football season for, for yeah. those who enjoy I like, that. I enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things. First of all, I did find it slightly entertaining that uh, I believe even on the Cardinals postgame show, the comment about Albert Pujols after the game in which he hit a home run. Uh, the the lead comment was Albert Pujols returned to St. Louis and gave Cardinals fans everything they could have hoped for. And I was like, well, I mean, mine is a win, but you know, sure. Well, <laughs> we'll go. Who, who cares about that at this point? To your point, more people were excited about the Albert Pujols home run at Bush than um, anything else had happened in that game. Uh, back to the game on Sunday for a moment, because I was watching that, ninth inning unfold and when Paul Goldschmidt snagged that liner I did have the briefest of thoughts that was something along the lines of wow it seems like every other game this se this season that's a play that doesn't get made but th it got made this time they didn't break it open they didn't you know end up on the wrong side of that that big moment maybe this one's gonna work out differently briefest of moments had that glimmer of hope uh then of course when alex reyes comes into the game they went to commercial break on the pitching change somehow either myself or the dog or somebody stepped on the remote control for the tv and turned it off 
And I made the comment, well, maybe I didn't want to see that anyways. Your dog, your dog is trying to save you. Trying to save me from the misery because as soon as I turned it back on, I still have not actually seen the Grand Slam because all I saw was the aftermath when I finally got the television turned back on. And then I promptly turned it back off because I really didn't want to see that. I think that game, and I said this to Daniel Shopta earlier this week as well, to me, felt like it was going to be kind of a defining game either way because it may have been the most impressive win of the year, not in in terms of they played the best baseball, but they didn't break in the moments where they have before. It would have given them two out of three against the Reds, two out of three against the Brewers, looking like they're making some progress towards a race that they're very much back in at that point. But at the same time, as much as it could have swung things that direction positively, losing that game, I think, had the same level of impact, just in the opposite direction. Because I don't know how you come back from losing that game that way when Cabrera struggled, Gallego struggled, Alex Reyes struggled. And the only bullpen arms you feel like you can use at this point are the guys you're kind of locked into in the sixth and seventh innings because only Adam Wainwright pitches deep enough into games for the sixth and seventh innings to be taken care of. And of course, I'm talking about uh, McFarland and Luis Garcia as those who pitched earlier in the game. So to lose the entire structure, the entire confidence yet again from the back end of the bullpen, there's just no other option right now. There are no reinforcements coming. There's nothing else that makes this look better. The starting rotation, even leveling out like it has, still isn't getting them deep into games. There's no advantage in shuffling the deck at this point. And the offense kind of is what it is. It's not bad at this point. It's not consistent either. So losing that game that way kind of was like the final gasp of maybe they can figure out a way to pull just the right strings and make it happen. Then I think to see Alex Reyes come in in the sixth inning in his next appearance and still give up a home run uh, just sort of reinforces there's no confidence left in those guys who are in the bullpen. I don't think Gallegos has much of an arm left, (laughs) less about his confidence and more about the, the physical Uh, reality of pitching as much as he has and so that loss coupled with knowing they're coming right back into a four game set with the Dodgers and their schedule doesn't really get any easier from here on out as far as the teams are chasing seeing that there are four teams really that they're competing against for that one wild card spot at this point yeah it it felt like the final nail even though mathematically it's not impossible there's no I don't think there's a player out there that has the appearance of confidence in this team to be able to pull it off. I have a genuine question. Do the Cardinals have a comparable come from behind win this season? Like where they were down several runs in the ninth and managed to win the game. That is an excellent question. I'm not even being snarky. I'm generally asking. I can't recall a single one. I'm sure there's one where they went into the, Ninth inning tied and then scored. So I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look this up. I want to say they have one walk off win this year, one maybe two, but not dramatic come from behind. Any actually come from behind wins? I I honestly cannot think of one. Um, While I'm looking this up, when we talked, probably around the trade deadline, 
we we discussed Alex Reyes briefly, and I said I did not support moving him because they still have, believe it or not, a couple of years of team control over him, and I still thought he's you know a, a valuable piece to a team that could be right in contention for competing next year. I was wrong. <laughs> I, I no longer have really any any faith in Alex Reyes being anything special. And not that he can't be a, a piece in the bullpen or even I, who knows if they're actually going to try starting him as they've kind of talked about here and there. That probably was the right move as other people have pointed out. Cause he, he did, he was coming off an all-star appearance. Um, you can make the case. A lot of it was smoke and mirrors with the, the walk rate. Um, and it's hard to imagine now his value ever being higher than that. So it was, how did you feel about him coming into that spot after, after this soon from being removed from the closer spot and this soon from having other not great appearances to be kind of thrown out there um, in that situation, obviously an awful one. And also knowing, like, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. Like, it's easy to say, like, yeah, he should not have been in there uh, because he gave up a grand slam to lose the game. But it just – and you might have to remind me who else we had available sitting on the bench. Uh, I was. It's funny. I was listening to this game on the radio. And, you know, the, the week before when they gave up the uh, walk-off to uh, Pittsburgh, uh, the three-run home run to Pittsburgh to lose four to three, Rooney's calls were exactly the same. You could have like spliced it, like and just and just. As far as I know, he wasn't even at the game. They had just uh, had him say a bunch of Reds players, uh, a bunch of uh, not Reds Brewers players' names, and so in case they needed us to and fill like, in, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah use the exact same call and just spliced in the situation a little bit, and and that was the end of it. Uh, that's how. That's how closely the situation mirrored itself, at least at least on radio. But I, I guess by going back to my point, I just no longer have much faith in, in Alex Race. I probably haven't for a while. And it's just such a shame because we've always had such high hopes for him. So to the point about should he have been in that spot, I believe the only options that were realistically available were Daniel Ponce de Leon, Cody Whitley, and maybe Jake Woodford, but he had pitched a bunch of innings in, I think, two days before. So he might not have been an arm they really wanted to go to there. I don't know if I could tell you that I have more confidence in Daniel Ponce de Leon getting out of a bases loaded jam or in Cody Whitley. And I know Cody Whitley has looked better as of late, but still a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience there. So the only way I can say to some degree, I understand going to Alex Reyes there is because he is someone who has done it before. Now, not recently. Um, his skill set may be better just on a pure skills perspective than Whitley or Ponce de Leon. I, I think theoretically, I understand the choice to say, okay, look, we didn't want this. This isn't really where we want him to be, but he has all the capability of getting a strikeout or a ground ball, whatever it is. That said, I think the recency bias is a very real thing and something that has to be in consideration there. I would not imagine there was anyone in the ballpark <laughs> on the Cardinal side of things that felt good about that choice, including Alex Reyes, including Mike Schultz. 
in the moment that was uh, presenting itself. I think you kind of make that move because it has the highest potential for success rate, maybe, arguably, simply because he's done it before. And then you kind of cover your eyes and hope for the best, which is certainly not what we got. I think to me, the most telling thing is um, Alex Reyes does not have much of a poker face. (laughs) The body language tells you just about everything you need to know about whether or not he thinks he's capable in that spot right now. Uh, And he does not, which is kind of compounded, like I said, in the sixth inning home run that he gave up against the Dodgers in his next appearance, looking just as defeated and just as lost and just as confused. Um, So short answer, no, I don't think he should have been in that spot. Long answer, I don't really think there's a better option at this point. And I think that is uh, something that the front office has to take responsibility for in not creating more than one option uh, in terms of who pitches in the ninth if it isn't Gallegos. Um, I was going to say, if I'm hearing you correctly, short answer, no. Long answer, does it really matter? Yes, (laughs) (laughs) correct. (laughs) Uh, I would also say, just in terms of Alex Reyes in the future. One thing I have thought about a lot this season is that as much as Alex Reyes has been around for a long time, he's never pitched this much in a big league season before. He's never pitched in this role in a full season before. He's never been in a spot where the make or break moments are more often than not on his shoulders. That's not an excuse. It's not to say, oh, it's justifiable. It's understandable that he struggled. None of that is the case, but only to say moving forward, I don't know if I am right off Alex Reyes forever ready at this point, simply because this has been such a new experience for him in terms of being healthy for an entire season, enough to pitch this deep into the year. Um, I think the idea that he was going to get to 100 innings, obviously not playing out, but innings notwithstanding, I think... I think there's a lot of unfamiliarity with this position at this point in the season for him that could be beneficial experience. The caveat there is uh, his confidence is wrecked right now. And I don't know how, I don't know how he is going to rebuild that in order to have more success the next time around, whatever the next time around looks like, whether it's in St. Louis or not, I'm not ready to say that he's never going to, be great because we've seen that he's capable of it i think there are a lot of layers to the reasons that he's struggling at this point and why it may end up being exaggerated because as we just said it doesn't matter there's no other there's no better option so he's kind of it well speaking of layers if you want one of the layers as why this season has been so just atrociously boring. I did just look it up. The Cardinals do not have a single come-from-behind walk-off win this season. Uh, and now, I'm not saying that means – those don't grow on trees, you know, I guess unless you're playing us. Um, then we, we hand them out rather graciously. Uh, but it's, it's not like these sort of wins happen all the time. Uh, that said, it is kind of surprising, right? <laughs> like, and, and it kind of makes sense, too. Like, ah, yeah – no wonder I've been so bored all year. They haven't, the, you know, we had the Wainwright throwing the Maddox. That was an awesome moment. I'm sure if I sat here for the next couple of minutes, I had to come up with several more moments that, you know, kind of made me do a dorky fist pump at home or something like that. But 
that the Cardinals haven't had that sort of win, a come from behind ninth inning win or a come from behind even extra inning win, which, which, you know, are a little more, I don't know, I guess happen more often now that you start off with a runner on second base and you're more prone to score, score a couple of runs, I guess. Um, it's, I, I'd be curious when the last time that happened is. And then season not over, I guess they could still still pull it off. But they have four or five walk-off wins this year, and they are all when they entered that last inning tied. So there you go. And I would also say, just to add to that, I think some of the moments that could have been memorable, like a memorable Nolan Arenado home run or you know a, a bases-clearing triple from Harrison Bader, whatever it was, there have been those hits but they're not followed by a win. So we don't remember them as exciting moments because there was no completion to it that then made it a great win or made it a great moment. I think there probably would have been more of those moments remembered as really exciting things that happened had they happened in wins and not in losses that then kind of what, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I kind of wipe even those exciting moments away in a loss because it just, okay, well, what's the point? (laughs) So it doesn't have the same impact, even if in the moment it had potential to be memorable. No, I I do that as well. Do you remember when, uh, I mean, it seems pretty remarkable now, but remember in his very first career start, and this was, you know, not long after coming off such a horrific injury, Daniel Ponce de Leon took like a no hitter into what, the the seventh or the pretty late. And you know what happened? They lost that game (laughs) to the Reds. And what turned out what started as such a nice moment turned in turned into a lousy moment and you, you know you're in a bad spot when this team really has me feeling sorry for John Lester uh, <laughs> it, it's now two starts that John Lester has pitched pretty well that they have completely spoiled yeah well and even defensive highlights we mentioned the the Paul Goldschmidt liner that he caught that was a great play no one's going to really remember that um oh. because it, it didn't they didn't follow through but we remember defensive highlights like we were talking last week, the Colton Wong play that, you know, saved the game, Adam Wainwright's complete game. Uh, you know, we remember those plays when the results follow and the results just all too often haven't, haven't followed with this team. And it's, I do feel for the players who, you know, go out and have great days. And then it's like, well, <laughs> thanks bullpen. Uh, or, you know, the, the lineup just doesn't hit anything. And then you got this great pitching performance that you were hoping for and still nothing to show for it. It's been a rough one. As you said, it's almost over. (laughs) Uh, What's not over, though, handy transition, Adam Wainwright's career um, announcing this week that he will be back to pitch again next year. I think we sort of saw the writing on the wall here, especially after the Yadier Molina contract and some of the conversation about, yeah, Yadier's really trying to talk me into it. We'll, We'll see what happens. Are you at all surprised that Adam Wainwright is coming back for another season? And is this enough to make you at least remotely excited about next year's presumable farewell tour for Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright? I'm not surprised at all. He's pitching so well. Uh, he has a 2.91 ERA, um, which is remarkable for, as as I said, I guess I was last week for a 40-year-old. I'm also not surprised given that Yadier Molina is not only coming back, but was very clear that, you know, I'm coming back for one more season, which kind of gives Wainwright a nice, um, I I think Wainwright is kind of like us in a way and that he likes those sort of narratives, cheesy moments, you know, like I I bet. Oh, big cheese. Yeah. I I think he would (laughs) love the idea of being able to uh, play a final season with Yadier Molina. 
um, and to have them both kind of be celebrated uh, for almost an, an entire season. So, so that doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's coming back. And does it make me uh, somewhat excited for next year? Sure. Um, but the, the good thing about baseball, when you go through a season like this, and I think it's fair to say this is the worst Cardinal season in 20 years. Um, I, I think it's worse than 2007 for, for several reasons. Um, real quickly, in 2007, we could still watch Albert Pujols. Um, 2007, we were coming off a World Series win. We did not win the World Series in 2020, Tara. Um, if, uh, That's right. You need to be reminded. So I was still kind of on a... I was still kind of... They had, to like, uh, they had built up a lot of goodwill with me in 2007. And, and I felt fine. Um, but anyway, what I was saying is I'm going to be excited regardless because once a whole off season passes, that gives you enough time to forgive, forget, refresh, and, and get ready for baseball again, to read enough puff pieces, to believe that your team is going to surely win the world series, um, to read enough puff pieces about it being Wainwright and Molina's last year. Uh, yeah. You know, just pile them all on. I will read all of them. So yeah, I, I will certainly, this awful, awful season notwithstanding, I will certainly be excited for next year. Do you like the announcement of a final year that inevitably leads to the farewell tour gifts in every city? Uh, do you like that kind of thing? Or is it just like, okay, we get it. Move on. I, I do. I, I don't know if I need to see him getting like some gift when he's in i don't know arizona but when he, when when he's at wrigley and, and whether they give him like a you know a number from the scoreboard or you know or whatever both yadi and winner i love that stuff uh when what yadi molina said about i want to go to cincinnati get booed one last time i i hope that absolutely happens um and <laughs> someone on twitter floated the idea that if Cincinnati gives him a gift like brandon phillips should be the one who presents it to him nice that would be wonderful because <laughs> Brandon Phillips is a very funny guy. That sounds like something he would actually be up for. And I'm sure, you know, that was so long ago. I'm sure that's probably water under the bridge by this point, if it hasn't been for years by now. If it wasn't, you know, by the time they played the very next game, who knows? Um, so I, I, I will eat all that stuff up. I will love it. I, I, I will admit it. I will love that stuff. Yeah, I, I think Yadi and Wayno are the types that also will. <laughs> <laughs> They'll enjoy every second of it. Um, and I, particularly with Yadier Molina, I was going to have a hard time imagining him not coming back to play baseball after not getting that sort of season, right? Like Yadi wants the recognition. He wants the, he was going to want all the Instagram moments. <laughs> and uh, so that, that I, I'm sure will be quite the spectacle. Um I have nothing else to say about this current Cardinals team at this point in time. So if you want to go right into the chirp of the week, uh, be my guest. All right, let's, let's do that. Uh, Tara, when I was growing up, I had this book of like, it was baseball humor or something like that. That was like filled with like anecdotes and quotes um, throughout baseball history that were kind of funny and showed how zany of a game uh, baseball could be. Uh, one of them I distinctively remember because it sounded so unbelievably made up uh, that it always stuck in my mind. And it was like this umpire and batter were getting into it about something. And the umpire finally says, 
to the batter or, or even says to the pitcher, you throw whatever pitch you want. I'm calling it a strike because I don't like this batter or something. And I don't, I wish I could remember who the umpire was, who the batter allegedly was, but I guess then the pitcher throws a ball that basically almost hits the backstop and the umpire calls it a strike, <laughs> which sounded so made up to me. It sounded like something more out of a movie than something that actually happened in a major league baseball game. But that was until I saw this clip that Tom Ackerman tweeted out today about this brawl. It's not this particular incident, but about this kind of fight that Ted Simmons got into with the Cubs in 1974. Um, And it's the most bonkers thing I've ever seen. And the reason why Ted Simmons is even on anyone's mind is because he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame today, which is a very awesome thing, something that I think a lot of Cardinals fans and baseball fans have been advocating for a while. Um, it was really kind of like the Saber crowd that resurrected his career, and he has said as much. So very good for Ted Simmons. But Tara, I want you to, I'm going to send you this clip, and then I'm going to read you this article I found um, from the hard from the Hardball Times um, about this incident. And bear with me because I'm going to read several paragraphs, but it is completely bonkers and absolutely hilarious. And it helps if you actually watch the, uh, it helps if you actually watch the incident in question. Um, but this is an article from the Hardball, Hardball Times uh, by Bruce Markison, who's, uh, who's r- written several books uh, on baseball, uh, most notably a biography on uh, Roberto Clemente. Um, but here we go. It was September 22 of that season, St. Louis hosting Chicago at Bush Memorial Stadium. At the time, Simmons and the Cardinals were holding on to a half-game lead over the Pittsburgh Pirates for the top spot in the National League East. Meanwhile, the Cubs were on their way to a last-place finish in the East. Uh, good times. Uh, but even as non-contenders, the Cubs tended to be motivated when playing the Cardinals given their intense division rivalry. Bob Gibson and Steve Stone started the game for the Cardinals and Cubs, respectively. But neither right-handed pitch, neither right-hander pitched particularly well, each allowing four earned runs before giving way to the bullpens. With the score tied at 5-5, heading to the top of the eighth inning, Cards manager Red Shandeast called on his ace, ace reliever Al Hraboski to replace Gibson. Hraboski retired the Cubs in short order in the eighth on fly balls from Billy Grabarkowitz and Rick Monday and an infield pop-up by Don Kessinger. The bottom of the eighth also proceeded without incident. After allowing a leadoff single to Joe Torre, Cubs reliever David LaRoche settled down by inducing the speedy Bake McBride to ground into a double play. Ken Reitz then doubled but was left stranded when pitch hitter Jack Heideman flied out to right field. And here we go. And now things are going to start to get a little fun. Uh, with a score remaining tied, heading to the ninth, Hraboski. And the thing about Al Hraboski is we all know him as Al Hraboski in the booth. <laughs> but people like our parents' age remember this Hraboski, the Hraboski I'm about to describe. The Hraboski who rightfully so got the nickname Mad Hungarian. Uh, anyway, back to the article. Hraboski decided to make the Cubs wait by going through his trademark routine, which he called the psych. Hraboski walked behind the mound, furiously rubbed up the ball, muttered a few words to himself as motivation, and then slammed the ball from his bare hand into his glove before stomping back onto the mound. The Cubs' first batter of the inning, future batting champion Bill Madlock, had little interest in waiting patiently for Hraboski to carry out the gestures of the psych. As the mad Hungarian 
primped his way through his prearranged maneuvers, Madlock stepped out of the batter's box and walked towards the on-deck circle. Once Trubosky returned to the mound, Madlock made his way back to the plate. As Madlock stepped into the batter's box, Herbosky repeated his psych-up psych routine. <laughs> he again walked behind the mound, rubbed up the ball, and then slammed it into his glove. So once again, Madlock stepped out of the box and returned to the on-deck circle. Home plate umpire Shag Crawford, a veteran of National League games beginning in 1956, grew irritated by the delays. According to an interview in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Crawford yelled at Madlock, Bill, get back here. After the game, Crawford explained the situation further. Quote, I thought maybe he didn't hear me because of the crowd noise. And it says there were 43,000 plus fans in attendance at this game. Ah, those were the days. Yeah, yeah those were the days. Uh, so I went after him again, and I said it again. The Cubs were furious, feeling Crawford was essentially replacing the blame on Madlock for the delay and not Hraboski. Cubs manager Jim Marshall charged out of the third base dugout and ran to a point between the dugout and home plate where he was met by Crawford and also joined by the Cubs on-deck batter, Jose Cardinal. Marshall and Cardinal began to argue with Crawford, but the umpire had little patience with the discussion. After only a few seconds, he walked away back to home plate. As Marshall and Cardinal continued their argument with him, Crawford crouched behind home plate, pumped his fist toward Herbosky, and ordered the left-hander to deliver the next pitch. It was an odd decision by the respected Crawford, a veteran of three World Series, and it only seemed to exacerbate the situation. With no one standing in the batter's box, Herbosky threw a fastball to Simmons. So no one's in the batter's box. Herbosky <laughs> throws a pitch, and the umpire calls it a strike, even though the pitch, according to this article, was clearly a ball. <laughs> Realizing Herbosky now had the advantage of pitching against a phantom batter, Cardinal waved at Madlock before suddenly stepping into the batter's box himself as a way of trying to salvage the at-bat. Now making a frantic dash from the on-deck circle, Madlock tried to push Cardinal out of the way and take his own place in the batter's, batter's box. All the while, Marshall was standing just to the right of Simmons, who pushed the manager away as he moved into his crouch to receive the next pitch. Moving forward in the box as the pitch came in, Madlock watched a hard fastball as it sailed high and inside, forcing him to lean backward to avoid being hit. Given the mayhem at home plate, it was not clear whether Crawford called the pitch a ball or a strike. But that became a side issue. As Madlock took that pitch, Cardinal remained at the front of the batter's box, creating one of the most unusual sights in baseball history, two batters in the box at the same time. <laughs> to make the situation even more chaotic, there were now five men within the vicinity of the home plate area, Madlock and Cardinal, along with Simmons, Marshall, and Crawford. So we have two batters, the catcher, the umpire, and the Cubs manager. Meanwhile, the crowd at Bush Stadium observed the surreal setting in confusion, unsure of exactly what was happening. <laughs> Given the overcrowding at home play and the general anger of the participants, it was inevitable that the situation would deteriorate into a further conflict between the Cubs and Crawford or a conflict between the two teams. It was the latter scenario that came to pass. Simmons and Madlock exchanged words with Simmons appearing to start the conversation. A moment later, Simmons Simmons pushed his fist into Madlock's face, huh, where I come from, that's called a punch, but uh, <laughs> spurring Cardinal to retaliate with a right cross to Simmons. Marshall tried and failed to restrain Simmons. Both benches poured onto the field and relievers from both bullpens soon followed. 
To make the matter more complicated, both teams were playing with expanded September rosters, which added to the number of combatants gathered on the Bush Stadium infield. After the game, Simmons tried to explain what triggered his decision to punch Madlock. I looked up, Simmons told the Post-Dispatch, and he was standing there with his bat looking at me. I said, what are you looking at? And Madlock replied, get lost. Get lost. That's like, I wonder if he really said get lost. That sounds like someone like would say like scram or, you know, something like, <laughs> I bet he said something more. I had more choice words than get lost. Anyway, Simmons continues, and then I hit him. Among the fans witnessing the riotous scene was Pat Dean, the widow of Cardinals Hall of Famer Dizzy Dean. She had been invited to the game as part of a ceremony in which the Cardinals retired Dean's uniform number. For her part, Mrs. Dean was not offended by the proceedings, either the initial conflict at home plate or the ensuing brawl. Quote, they must have done this for Diz, she told reporters. It looked like the old gas house gang out there. In true gas house gang fashion, Simmons had punched Matlock squarely in the chin, but in doing so, Simmons suffered a cut to his knuckles on his right hand. Normally, a punch like that would have resulted in an ejection, but once the melee settled down, Simmons was allowed to remain in the game, as were Madlock and Cardinal. Not a single player from either team was ejected. The only person to receive the heave-ho from Crawford to, to, to receive the heave-ho from Crawford was manager Marshall, despite the fact that he didn't punch anyone and simply had tried to fill the role of peacemaker. It was the most memorable moment in Marshall's otherwise obscure tenure as the Cubs manager uh, at that time. Once the two teams returned to their dugouts and bullpens, Trubosky and Madlock resumed their matchup, this time with the Cubs' third baseman fully settled into the batter's box. Claiming later the incident psyched him up even more, Herbosky struck out Matlock and retired Cardinal on an easy pop-up and then struck out LaRoche, his mound counterpart, to end the inning. And then came the bottom of the ninth in a situation that demanded Simmons to do something dramatic after coming to blows with Madlock. After LaRoche struck out Herbosky to start the inning, it's amazing that Herbosky's batting, by the way, <laughs> in a 5-5 game in the ninth inning, but whatever. Um, Lou Brock then singled. Following a strikeout by Ted, Ted Sizemore, Reggie Smith walked, putting, Carnal, putting Cardinals run, runners on first and second with two outs. The next scheduled batter, it had to be Simmons, who promptly lined a single to center field, scoring Brock to win the game 6-5. to five. It was a storybook ending for a game filled with drama, controversy, and surreal moments. It would make for even better theater if the 74 Cardinals had gone on to win the National League East. Alas, they lost their next two games of the season to Pittsburgh and ultimately fell short of winning the division by a game and a half. Those losses delayed Simmons' first foray into the postseason by seven years when he would appear in the strike-created division series as a member of the Milwaukee Brewers. So there you go. Uh, I don't know if me reading that gave it justice, but if you want to see what this looks like, just go look at Tom Ackerman's uh, Twitter account and you will see it. It it plays out exactly as it reads here. And more importantly, congratulations to Ted Simmons. It's very cool that he is being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I was actually watching the video alongside the uh, the reading of the article there, and it's as entertaining to watch as it is to kind of hear the details after the fact. So uh, wild scenes in baseball. Dangerous, didn't it? When you had two people with bats and a a pitch (laughs) being thrown between them because they were on opposite sides of the batter's ball, or I I don't know what was going on. It was very strange. It was very strange. And I think none of the players really knew what was going on either, which is had to be so bizarre. Um, other than, you know, the, the pitcher just going, all right, sure. If, <laughs> throw something, something in there for a strike. I think if we're assessing blame here, I, I think most of it probably falls on Herbosky. I mean, he, he had that nickname for a reason. That, that was 
pretty ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, the intimidation factor is not so much making anyone afraid of him as it is just annoying them beyond reason. And then, you know, it's kind of like how earlier in the season, remember uh, earlier in this season when, uh, again, Nick Castellanos uh, was ejected for his strange reaction to, uh, who was it, Jake Woodford? I don't even remember who the pitcher yeah, was at was. this point. It was Woodford. Um, and he was the one that was ejected and suspended or whatever because he instigated uh, the whole ordeal. And the, the the opposite argument was, well, Jake Woodford threw the pitch, <laughs> so shouldn't he have been? In this case with Rabowski, I feel like he was a master of like technically being the one to start it all, but not actually instigating the uh the the melee if you will so probably still his fault but yeah not as not as you uh draw it up on paper i suppose <laughs> yeah I, I think people wanted yachty to get like uh in trouble right. for that because he sort of made contact with castellanos that's true that's whatever true. yeah remember that that, that happened lot, yeah it was a lot more <laughs> cool when i assumed we would finish ahead of the reds in the standings but, but yeah. Castellanos is pretty much um own the Cardinals this year, let's be honest. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. And the uh, bat saga didn't help with the <laughs> appearance no, of that. No. Although it was wildly entertaining. And I was really hoping that that something did come of that just for the fact that I'd never seen it before. And it would have been kind of a cool footnote in a season that, as we mentioned, otherwise has not been very interesting. Uh, I have never no. seen a bat like that. I was kind of hoping in the moment that it would have some George Brett t- Pintar situation type reaction as a lot of people were, but it, um, I never quite even got an explanation of how that was resolved or why it was resolved the way it was. Uh, but an- another just big loss taken by the yeah. Cardinals. Yeah, it was rough. My understanding. So I think part of what made it confusing is that in the moment they didn't know what was going on. And also the announcers are not there. So they're only reacting to what we're seeing, which doesn't help them much at all. Um, but I did, I think that the clarified story was that they saw that the bat was broken. They seemed to suggest the bat was broken before the, the grand slam. And so they were wanted to check it because if enough of a chunk was broken out of it, it would change the weight of the bat making it illegal or whatever. I don't Strange story that I I agree. I don't think we ever really got the full, <laughs> the full detail, uh, detailed saga there. But um, that's just the way the season is. Kind of unresolved and, and not very satisfying. <laughs> well, we play the so, red one more time, right? So yes. uh, there will be another opportunity for uh, for an encore. But I, I guess he'll probably like it. A couple more Grand Slams. Yeah, I was going to say, I fully expect him to just go off in that series. (laughs) That's not one I'm looking forward to watching. Um, But, you know, I don't don't look too forward to watching most game seasons, except for Adam Wainwright starts. Uh, Those are are usually um, pretty entertaining, at least. So we have that going for us. Oh, real quick, Uh, I want to ask you. Sorry. Yes. Real quick. Do you think the idea of Cardinals moving in the fences, is that a... uh, I meant to bring that up, yeah. so I'm glad you mentioned it. I'm fascinated by this idea in terms of how kind of the additional buildings around the field are impacting how the ball is flying, or if this is just like a Bush Stadium thing that they're all tired of, and they're like, guys, it's time. We've we've been fighting against this well, for enough years now. Let's, let's do something about it. 
I, I thought it was interesting on the heels of the Colton Wong uh, comments in The Athletic because, and I'm not doubting what Colton Wong is saying. He knows more than anyone about how you know he's been coached and his development or whatever. But it, his season at the plate isn't that much better than what he did in 2019. Now, he's he's slugging a career high, but that's not uncommon for someone who is has played mo- all their career at a park like Bush Stadium and then moving to a place like Miller Park. So I thought it was also a little overblown when people are talking about like, look at Colton Wog's, you know, slugging right now as compared to when he was in St. Louis. Like, yeah, well, you might want to stick to WRC plus as a better metric for figuring out exactly, you know, how, how the comparison is there. Um, and that's not to say I don't still wish Colton Wong was on our team because I absolutely do, but. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, Guys like Nolan Arenado, uh, not that they need help to hit home runs, but a few more fly balls that go over the fence probably would uh, help them feel better about things. I don't know that um, the current Cardinals pitching staff is going to benefit from it being easier to hit home runs at Bush, but uh, maybe they'll address that as well. Well, It it is kind of ironic that they're like, with the, uh, you know... uh, building of one cardinal way this is yeah. zap the cardinal's power it's it's kind of like poetic justice that like they because all these comments about like they, they're way more interested in the real estate around bush stadium than they mm-hmm. are the pieces inside bush stadium i i guess so yeah, yeah. That, that kind well, of made me chuckle we we've seen where the money has uh gone <laughs> in in some sense and you know it's it's been more of a priority to develop around the stadium. You're right. Then uh, maybe kind of focus on the actual team being better than average, which it has not been this year. So I don't know. It's interesting. It might create a different dynamic as far as, um, you know, how the Cardinals play at home versus on the road and maybe not seeing quite as big of a gap there, but I'm not convinced that's the solution to anything for the Cardinals. It's just an interesting side story. I agree. But we'll see. We'll see what they do. Maybe they change that as well as um, the guys in the bullpen, not just the location of uh, of the bullpen for next year, among other things. But that is a conversation for another day. We are going to leave you at this point to finish off the Dodgers series and then, um, you know, look for those moments that can be exciting because the results may not follow. Uh, But if they do, we'll be here to talk it all over next week. Thanks for listening. Make sure you continue to show your love to everyone on the Birds on the Black podcast channel and all the things that they do. Alex, I think that's good for this week. So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again real soon.